This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Ricky Kapoor, the General Manager of Enterprise Group from Microsoft Asia-Pacific. We discuss the footprint of Microsoft Enterprise in the Asia-Pacific market and how companies in Asia are working with Microsoft on cloud computing, AI, and Internet of Things to tackle digital transformation and disruption. Hi, Ricky. Hi, Bernard. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Very good. Exciting times. And I'm talking to Ricky Kapoor, General Manager, Enterprise Group, Microsoft Asia-Pacific. You are my first guest from Microsoft. So, but we, we know each other from, from a long way because I mentored your son who did a very great app called Contra, which he just recently released. But he is also a fan of the show. So he has asked me to get his father on the show. So <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. But Ricky, it's very interesting. You and I have talked many times and I know you have deep insights on enterprise across Asia Pacific. So before that, I want to start off by getting to know you better. How did you start your career? I've been in technology for about 26 years. I'm incredibly passionate about technology and technology's role in changing the workplace and, and company. And But I think a less known fact is that I actually got into the technology industry unintentionally. I started my career as an accountant, qualified as a chartered accountant in India, and then I moved when I was very young, just finishing my accounting degree and moved to Australia, immigrated to Australia. And and my intention was actually to, to join one of the big five, at that time, big six accounting firms and pursue a career in accounting, audit, finance. But at that particular point, I would have had to do a, a one-year upgrade of my qualifications on tax and, and corporate law. So I thought I'd do a one-year sabbatical and do something different. And I got an opportunity in a technology company in sales, which I thought I would literally do for one year and then move into, into that accounting career. I loved it so much. This is 1991. I loved it so much that I just converted one year into, let me do one more year. So made it two and then let me do one more year, make it three. Always with the intention that I would go into an accounting or finance uh, career. You know, after three years, I just realized that this was an area I was so passionate about that I would continue. And I continued my career in uh, in the technology space, mostly in ro- in companies that were in analytics and uh, what, you know, the early stages of what we would call AI today. But in anal- analytics, business intelligence, you know, running various sales, j- sales management, general management kind of roles. And then you subsequently moved from that role to Microsoft? Well, interestingly, if I sort of, uh, you can see my trajectory on LinkedIn if you get into my LinkedIn profile. But I started for the first 10 years in a company called SaaS that was in the analytics space. And in fact, I started in Sydney and then I opened up the Melbourne office and did a bunch of gigs around that. Soon after, there was sort of, I hit the you know, the dot-com boom, which became the bust in 1999. And I set up a pre-IPO, a couple of pre-IPO companies that eventually listed on the NASDAQ, really around the analytics space. I set up the APAC operations out of, at that point, Melbourne. Did that for a few years, was traveling in and out, setting up businesses in uh, in Singapore, in Hong Kong, Japan. Did that for a few years. And then I joined Siebel, which got acquired by Oracle. 
and did about you know a good six seven years stint at Oracle, which after which I joined Google and spent about four years at Google running the enterprise business, and then joined Microsoft about eighteen months ago. So I've been in a few companies around analytics, business intelligence, around business applications, around cloud and technology, and now you know really forging into digital transformation. So in your career journey, I guess, given that you have been to Oracle, Google, and now Microsoft, what are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience? You know, I think if I have to encapsulate my probably my biggest learning, I would say that I would say that passion and learning ability trumps experience. I think in our industry, I don't know if this is necessarily true for any and every industry. I can certainly speak for the technology industry that is so vibrant. It's changing so fast. There's so many paradigm shifts. You've got to unlearn more than you have to learn sometimes. You know, I think my biggest learning is your ability to learn and and your passion and your energy trumps experience. I know I've personally put myself in roles that I, at that point in time, I would have to honestly say I was not qualified for. I think my ability to learn and put a lot of energy and passion into it helped me do well in those specific roles. And I think that's been my experience through the years in our industry. So you've really got to have that ability to learn and unlearn, ability to have the passion and commitment and just bring that energy to the gig that I think differentiates you from others. So we come to the main topic of the day. I want to talk about Microsoft Enterprise in Asia Pacific. I would prefer that you should actually help me to give an introduction about Microsoft. I think everyone knows Windows and Microsoft Office are now 365. And can you talk about what do they do in its focus in the enterprise side? Yeah, look, you know, I think everyone is familiar with Microsoft. Uh, I think I would say most people are familiar with Microsoft in terms of the initial focus of the company, which is very PC oriented and and, and the mission, which was to put a desktop or PC in every home. Now the mission of the new Microsoft is a lot broader, and it is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. It's a much broader mission, and it's a mission really targeted not at a product set. You know, there are three fundamental, bold ambitions that the company has today. And I'll sort of start with that, and maybe then I'll frame it across from a customer engagement point of view. The three bold ambitions really are centered around one more personal computing. And I think if you see some of the innovations that Microsoft has come around with, I guess even the Surface kind of Pro, uh, you know, in the last few years with a with a new hybrid sort of computing platform to the HoloLens with mixed reality, it's really all about chartering new more personal computing. That's first one. The second one is about reinventing productivity and business processes. And this is really around how we're thinking, reimagining the whole workplace around collaboration, around business applications, and how does how do all of those things come together in a very different modern workplace. So that's kind of the second one. And the third one is building the intelligent cloud. And that's kind of where all the pieces around our intelligent cloud and intelligent edge come in. Those are three broad ambitions that, I, that, that we have. And, you know, I think from a customer point of view, our ambition really, whether that's in the Asia Pacific region or across the globe, is really to help be the, the lead partner for companies, both large and, and small, in their digital transformation journey. I think, I think you know this, Bernard, very well, that irrespective of industries, customers, our companies are finding 
an incredible disruption opportunity and challenge at the same time. And most companies are trying to understand how to navigate through the incredible myriad of digital opportunities that they have. And they're looking for technology companies to partner with them. And we want, we want Microsoft to be that partner, which, which does involve us also transforming ourselves internally, internally to build the right skills, capabilities, the right thought leadership to be in a position to be there. But essentially, that's our, that's, that's our broader goal. I know it's talked about a lot. We see a world where the intelligent cloud and the intelligent edge, which is really about having billions of computing endpoints powered by data, AI over the cloud, being one of the biggest disruptive forces and the biggest digital opportunities that our, our clients can make use of. And I think they're looking for thought leadership around that. Our technology is there, but a large part of our go-to-market is to be ready ourselves to be that premier lead partner for them to help them navigate the digital opportunity ahead of them. I lead the enterprise business for Asia Pacific. And the enterprise business essentially is most of our larger customers uh, across all industries. We have a primary focus on six to seven industries today, where we are building deep skills, capabilities, industry knowledge, industry solutions. But essentially, the enterprise space is most of the larger organizations across these industries, across banking, finance, across telecommunications, across retail, manufacturing, and also government being health, education, and government. And we go to market both by a sales force as well as partners and as well as companies that we call ISVs who've built very innovative solutions on top of our platform that we bring to customers. When we discuss the enterprise business in Microsoft, we are always thinking about a few products and services. One of them is definitely Office 365, Microsoft Dynamics, Cordana, Yammer, LinkedIn, and Skype. Are, are these all the what is en- encompassing the enterprise site for Microsoft? Look, it's a little broader than that, Bernard. Uh, I think it's a little broader than that. I, I would break it up into, well, maybe, maybe I start by breaking it up into four solution areas first. And then I break into products a little bit more under each of these solution areas. The four solution areas that we bring to our customers are the modern workplace. That's one. The second is business applications. The third one and the fourth one are both around Azure, around the cloud, which is apps and infrastructure. That's the third one. And the fourth one is data and AI. So it's modern workplace, business application, applications and infrastructure around the cloud, data and AI. So within each of these sets of solution areas, we have a number of products. So under modern workplace, You'd be obviously familiar that the key part of it is what we call Microsoft 365, which brings together Windows 10, which is the most secure operating platform, with Office 365, which is the number one collaboration messaging communications platform. We bring that together with security and mobility. So that's kind of the whole modern workplace piece. And you know, part of that is part of that is the surface devices and so on. That's kind of where modern workplace sits. The second place is business applications, which is our Dynamics 365 platform, which consists of our CRM platform, our ERP platform that we built capability with uh, integration into LinkedIn with uh, talent management, a number of things around that. So not only do we have our own 
capability on CRM and ERP, but we also have ISVs who have built, so third parties who have built very strong industry solutions on top of these platforms. So there's companies who have built an ERP CRM capability for textile manufacturers. That's part of business application. And, you know, you mentioned Cortana and Yammer and, and the Sky. They're all part of the modern workplace environment. But the third one is apps and infra and data in AI. Those are the third and fourth. And, you know, that's that's the Azure platform, which is, you know, really where we're getting, gaining a lot of strides, both in terms of infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and all of our capabilities and services and products that we have around that, as well as data and AI and all the work we're doing with Cortana intelligence, with advanced machine learning, with artificial intelligence. There's a lot of work we're doing on deep learning. So those are all of the products and services that we bring to market. A key thing that is, I'd say, somewhat known, somewhat unknown is a large part of our strategy is to bring integration points between each of these products. You know, so, you know, if you think about solving a problem about in, in manufacturing, for example, where using IoT and predictive analytics and machine learning, today you can predict wear and tear and potential failure on a machine part. And that could be a machine part in a, you know, telco cell tower, or it could be a machine part inside a aircraft jet engine, or it could be a machine part inside an industrial manufacturing plant. So, you know, you think about it, you know, you've got part of our solution doing the AI machine learning with IoT, that's all Azure, predicting that something is going to fail. You know, so what do you do with that? You need to now get a, a technician out there before it fails with the spare parts scheduled in someone's diary to be there on site to avoid failure because failure costs a lot of money in terms of downtime in any industrial manufacturing industry. So we've integrated that IoT predictive platform with our dynamic CRM ERP suite. So it automatically finds the technician with the right skill sets, but also schedules the spare parts and finds availability, schedules the diary entry in, in, in Office 365 so that there's a person out there scheduled with the right spare parts arriving in order to fix the problem before it comes. Now, if you imagine bringing this whole thing together to solve a problem about machine downtime, in the old world paradigm, you would have to spend a lot of money integrating various applications to achieve this. What we are doing is because we have the end solutions, we're integrating the capabilities out of the box for that with machine learning and AI. So we're bringing together these solutions to solve real business problems. Specifically, can you talk about Microsoft Dynamics and how is it helping companies in this DRM space? I mean, in my current digital transformation of the post office, I'm actually using the Microsoft Dynamics to actually power our new point of sale system for our customer service because there are a lot of things that we want to build on top of the application of Microsoft Dynamics. I think so. so Microsoft Dynamics, I mean, you know, I think we call, we, we call it Dynamics 365 now. We're solving a lot of different kinds of business problems and in different industries. And it tends to be kind of industry, it tends to be somewhat horizontal problem solving and some, somewhat very specific to industry. So one example that I just gave you was around that whole solving downtime 
you know, getting the right customer service people, technicians into this thing, into a place with the spare parts based on a predictive downtime or failure that's been predicted by the IoT side, right? So that's one example. But, you know, let me let me take an industry that we do a lot of work with is around banking. We do a lot of work around banking, around banker productivity, whether that's a relationship manager or a corporate banker. Productivity of the banker by having a single view of the customer, but also having the ability to have machine learning predict cross-sell, upsell for the customer so that the banker is able to have a communication with the customer in terms of what their needs could be and anticipate the need based on their usage patterns and so on. We're doing a lot of work across various industries, across telecommunications, you know, I think in your case also similar, similar around uh, customer service around the new generation call centers, across customer service capabilities. And we have a variety of independent software vendors who've built capabilities on top of us, of our platform for various industries. I give an example of one who's built something for textile manufacturers. We have others who have built very specific capabilities for cashless digital banking. Across an entire spectrum of industries, including healthcare, including retail, where we have a lot of capabilities on on that dynamics is starting to power a number of problems around sales service marketing operations etc so since we are in asia has the products and services of microsoft enterprise need to localize some of their products particularly in the emerging and frontier markets yeah for sure i mean look i mean there's an element of course there are a number of services that work very similarly across all geographies but you need to tweak the infrastructure with edge nodes and and different local capacity in order to drive the local experience so there's one element of that you know i think yes there's one element of that and we'll talk a little bit about a bit more about that but you have to tweak the performance and so on for local experiences for local markets with various various different levels of you know connectivity and performance right i mean so we do a lot of work across local data center regions we do a lot of work across hybrid capabilities and so on to to cater for that local governance and so on local sovereign rules etc especially with the cloud so that's one element of it which is you know, how you perform, offer a very similar functionality of service, but in a very different way. But there's a next level of localization where you're doing language localization. So certainly when you start talking about chatbots, etc., there's a degree of language localization that we do for local languages across APAC. And we've done that in, in several countries. But there's also an element that we have a Microsoft research group and we have a large presence in India where we're where we're really reimagining the kinds of products that are required for emerging markets. And that's now a third level of localization where we're building markets, uh, products that are fundamentally suitable, suited for emerging markets. And we launched one such product called Kaizala, launched it in India and now in Philippines, which is really a chat-based collaboration tool for solving a usage for you know, large populations of workforce at the endpoints on low bandwidth kind of chat-based capability. And it's a very emerging markets kind of a problem we're trying to solve, but still with all the security and manageability that you want if your company with 200,000 employees, of which 100,000 people are in the retail force or in the workforce in endpoints, only mobile. So we're thinking through this in multiple dimensions, and we are certainly localizing our services 
based on whether that's a performance localization or just a language localization or it's a it's a, just a whole new functionality that we feel that needs to be created for for local markets I want to get the, into the conversation of cloud computing. I know that Microsoft Azure is, is actually gaining more mindshare within the Asia-Pacific tech community. How does Microsoft Azure, the cloud computing environment, distinguish itself from the other cloud operators within the market? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would say three things. One, global. Two, hybrid. Three, enterprise. Let me go into that in a little bit more detail. Global, I mean, look, we now have 40 announced Azure regions. That's more than any other cloud service provider in the world, right? So we have more infrastructure regions than any other cloud provider in the world. You know, last week we announced two more unique dedicated regions for the Australian government. We were the first global cloud provider to offer cloud services in mainland China. We have more than 60 industry accreditations as more than any cloud provider. So when you look at that, yes, we are adding more cloud customers than anyone else and so on. But if you think about that scope and span globally, we're ahead of anyone else. And that's, I mean, in, in, a, in a scale game, that is important. And certainly customers who want to go global and customers who want to even build regional capability, they're looking for that, that capability seamless, right? I mean, I think that's the first thing that is absolutely important to understand. The second one is hybrid, right? I mean, we are the only significant global cloud provider that has that is offering a hybrid solution between, you know, on-premises and off. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the intelligent edge. I'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, the reality is that in today's world, most companies will adopt some form of a hybrid cloud capability. You know, whether that's because of sovereign rules in certain industries on data sovereignty, or that's because of performance or, or latency, you know, hybrid is a capability that people are, are looking for. And, you know, we are unique in our ability to offer a hybrid solution. Part of that is what we call Azure Stack. So the ability to run something that is either on Azure on the cloud or on on-premises with Azure Stack with a single layer of manageability is incredible. You know, and I think now more and more, when you talk about the intelligent edge and, you know, you have billions of computing endpoints, the amount, I mean, in the amount of data that is being gathered from every endpoint is very significant. And there are some use cases, several use cases. I mean, you think about, you know, surveillance and so on, where, you know, it's not necessarily going to be long-term realistic for all the AI to be done on the cloud because you're going to have a situation where the amount of time it takes for certain applications to transfer to the cloud for the processing and then back may not be fast enough for the, for the latency required for that application. And, you know, more and more we're going to start seeing the intelligence built into the edge, into the endpoint, with AI built into the endpoint. And again, to support that, you need some form of a hybrid capability. And I think that's where, you know, whether that's because of some form of performance, data sovereignty, latency, the reality we're seeing in the market is that people, customers, companies are expecting hybrid, and we're the only one who can do hybrid. That's the second one. And the third one is enterprise, enterprise DNA. I mean, look, we have a very large, and it's, it's part of our differentiation. We have a large sales force. We have a large partner ecosystem. 
we have a very large community of you know independent software vendors isvs who've built incredible innovative content on our platform and we're taking that to market i think bringing that enterprise dna with enterprise service levels with that scale is also important so i i'd say the way we are differentiating ourselves is through that global footprint the hybrid capability and the enterprise dna I'm pretty curious to know specifically in the Internet of Things or IOTs and artificial intelligence where Microsoft has a strong foothold in how do they incorporate them into the enterprise for the different industries out there This is why I find the technology space so exciting I've always been quite bullish about and I've always been quite optimistic about the kind of problems technology can solve but I have to say that when it comes to IoT and AI I was I thought it would take longer the gestation would be longer in some of the markets that I serve especially in emerging markets but I've been incredibly pleasantly surprised to see hundreds of use cases today live where people are using IoT and machine learning and AI to solve very real world problems you know across across every industry I talked about one case around predictive maintenance right very very important in the manufacturing space because the downtime cost of a machine is very significant you know we have companies such as rolls royce who have basically taken all the information from all the sensors inside the jet engine and are using machine learning and ai to predict wear and tear potential long term failure of the jet engine that goes into the uh, you know aircraft airlines aircraft carriers we have hundreds of similar examples in southeast asia and emerging markets of companies using the same iot technology the same ai capability to solve for machine breakdown in just industrial manufacturing plants and the simplicity in which they're doing that is incredible we're seeing the same thing started to happen in healthcare with devices connected into azure with ai being used for diagnostics we're seeing that across this region today we're working in parts of this region and i'm super excited about this around you know this whole space around agriculture iot for you know we've got cases in australia and new zealand of connected oyster farms on connected wineries to improve the yield of the crop or in this particular case oysters or or wine making but including that but in in addition to that we're doing some very incredible work ground baking work around agritech and you know many parts of this part of the world around malaysia indonesia you've got large plantations and you've got large kind of uh, resource based companies they need to improve yield and i think it affects everyone it affects the company affects the economy affects the workers and they're doing that by putting sensors into the ground looking at the uh, soil fertility looking at various conditions and using that through machine learning on azure to improve the crop yield and we've got you know 7 to 10 examples of this happening in this part of the world so we started to see several problems being solved by IoT there's one in retail that is happening with one of our partners the great example of one of our partners being one of our independent software vendors that have built a a capability with cameras to basically look for images on retail shelves in supermarkets and then predict when something is going to run out based on usage and then go back into the warehousing and basically look at the stock shelving basically just by looking at the images of the different products using our cognitive capabilities So we started to see a 
number of applications from retail, health, agriculture, manufacturing. We're starting to see that in, in government of surveilling and, and, and policing and then the intelligence coming into that. And, you know, I'm really, really quite pleasantly surprised to some extent by the speed in which people are adopting these technologies to solve real world today's problems. This is where I'm going to come to talk to you a little bit to tap your brains about digital disruption and digital transformation because this is something that's been a big trend that's really happening in Asia. Most traditional companies in Asia are currently facing disruption and have created digital transformation programs to shift their company into the digital age. What do you see are the biggest challenges for these companies and how would they be able to solve it from your perspective? I think we moved reasonably well forward in the last 12 months, I think, across Asia around companies and their appetite and interest, appetite and interest on digital transformation. I think that started to happen. At least interest is very much there. You know, we have a technology center in Singapore. It's called the MTC and we host customers here virtually every day of the week. And at the CEO, CDO, CIO, CTO level and, and others, including the last one with the head of HR and so on. And they come to learn and dream with us. And I'm sure they go elsewhere too, but they come to learn and dream on, on the possibilities with digital. I think people are starting to get to that point. I think six to nine months ago, I felt and the, and the research showed that Asian companies were behind their counterparts in, in, in other parts of the world in their interest and appetite for digital transformation and, and moving ahead. So I think that's moving in the right direction. People are starting to realize that, you know, both the risk of not taking a digital footprint is, is quite high with disruption coming from all sources. I was in Korea last week and, uh, you know, Kakao, Kakao Talk, which is the number one chat and messaging e-commerce platform in Korea. They just got, came out with Kakao Bank and first internet bank. And that's really creating seismic waves in the banking industry in Korea. I think every industry has seen enough disruption and people are realizing that the risk is high. But I think people are also realizing that the numbers stack up favorably in terms of return on investment, in terms of profitability, in terms of revenue. I think people are starting to realize there was a survey done by Capgemini and MIT Sloan School of Business where they showed that in the study, they showed that companies that were digitally mature overperformed their less mature competitors in every industry across all three metrics of revenue, profitability, and return on shareholder value in terms of stock price. So people have started to see that they're, they're embracing it and they're starting to come to technology, come to, to learn. I think the biggest challenges is, I, I genuinely believe right now is speed of execution around experimentation. I think it's about the challenges are mostly, I would say, cultural. I think the culture needs to come from the CEO and the, the top management team. And I think it's got to be, it's mostly culture, a culture of experimentation, a culture of learning and fostering that. I think as companies build that culture, I think the means are all there, whether that's through, you know, dreaming with the technology companies, through you know, ideation, through ideation workshops, which we do a lot with customers, through hackathons, hack fest, through pure coding inside the customer. I think we offer all these services to our customers to partner with us. I think companies need to bring that culture. I think that's kind of sometimes becomes the biggest challenge about having that culture of experimentation and kind of sometimes 
being very agile in that and building that agility into to into the culture on the technology side. The follow up to the question would be: What would be your advice to the CIO, CTOs, or CDOs out there? Thinking about this digital disruption, is it a matter of speed? Is it a matter of culture? Is it a matter of mindset? Look, I think culture, mindset, kind of are similar in my in my book. I think it is one about culture and mindset for sure. Coming with that, so I, you know, I think I talked about that earlier. But maybe if I can drill down to the next level, I would say first piece of advice I would give say spend a lot of time with technology companies. I mean, whether it's here in Singapore in the Asian region, whether it's in Silicon Valley, it's in Redmond, it's in it's in other parts. Spending you know spend a lot of time with technology startups and, and so on. Spend a lot of time with technology companies. Because you're going to get incredible ideas and case studies. You're going to get incredible ideas and case studies from them. That's the first thing I would say is spend a lot of time, not just yourself, but with your teams. The second thing I would say is you need to have an ethos of experimentation. You know, I, I'm a huge believer on creating an ideas factory and you know letting ideas bloom. Experiment quickly. You know, have 15 ideas. Experiment on that. The cloud, AI, and all those technologies here. Allow you to experiment at incredibly low cost, but you have to have that thought process of experimentation, quick, 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 always in quick experimentation. There's some companies that do it reasonably well, and I think having that along with the right <coughs> ideation allows you to go from ideation to experimentation very quickly. Sometimes I see people do a lot of ideation, but they get stuck in the thought process of. Oh my God! Let me do something that's six months. I I heard a customer tell me they're in retail and they've got the entire store uh, retail front office and back office set up in a lab in their I don't know sixth floor or whatever floor in their offices, and they basically have a culture of seven day iteration. So they say to anyone who who wants to come and see if they have a good idea to come up with a new promotion type system that they integrate with the store system. Okay, come. Here's the all the systems. Integrated in, but you have seven days. So their ideation, their experimentation timeline is seven days.、Uh, now that works for them, but I think as long as you have this experimentation philosophy and you build yourself the capability to do that, then you can go from idea to experimentation very quickly, and then you know which what 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 can work for you. And I think out of out of those fifteen, twenty, hundred experiments, you know, ten percent will work, and and I think they will make you a lot of money. That's interesting. We have spoken a lot about Microsoft Enterprise and your thoughts on digital disruption and digital transformation. So, in coming to the closing, before we end, I wanted to ask you: Can you recommend a book, TV show, movie, or anything that you found interesting recently? Ah, a recommendation. <laughs> I am reading a book. Let me tell you. I don't know if I can recommend it yet because I haven't fi- finished it yet. I'm I'm halfway through it. There's a book I'm reading right now called. It's my it's my new one. Actually, one of my colleagues gave it to me. I'm not sure he gave it to me because he thinks I have it, or because he thinks I need this. But it's called Extreme Ownership: How Navy Seals Lead and Win. And this book is actually written by two Navy Seals, retired, who have been put in the heat of very complex missions. Several, several, several times. I mean, missions that were, at at most cases, all but lost. And you know, they've sort of had to sort of work through how to succeed through that complexity. And they take they took all this knowledge and 
put it in a book that is kind of shows you how to apply that thinking to to kind of any team or any group situation or any organization or family or whatever but it is something that i'm finding interesting because it's from people who are have been in extremely complex situations that both require deep thinking and you know agility of action and i think to some extent i mean well that's what i'm reading but i think to some extent that's what our our lives around us are you know you need to think deeply you need to mean you need to move quickly whether that's in business or investment or in personal lives and so on so that's a book i don't know if i can recommend it yet to everyone but uh, i am reading it and and if you come back and ask me in uh, i suspect in 30 maybe maybe 15 days time i will let you know if i can recommend it or not okay i will ask you there when i see you for lunch next time in 15 days for sure now. for sure <laughs> yeah but my final question has always been how do my audience find you look i'm on uh, i'm on linkedin you can find me on linkedin i think that's probably i'm on linkedin i'm twitter you can get all the details i think bernard you can post it out but you can certainly uh, find me on on these platforms uh, linkedin more feel free to connect with me on on there I will start this week with a recommendation as well because some of my audience has been requesting that I should recommend some books as well. So I'm going to just recommend one book called High Output Management written by Andy Grove, who's also very well known for the book Only the Paranoid Survive. He's the former CEO of Intel. What I really like about this book is that it really teaches you how to be a manager and how do you think strategically? How do you manage your time and how do you deal with your supply chain and as as a daily routine and i thought that this was one of the most useful books that i've ever read to learn to be a manager so you can find me at blongcwrbernalong.com subscribe to us at analyze asia a n a l y s e asia you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud acast and tune in and of course recommend us on overcast tweet to me or give me feedback and once again ricky thank you for coming on the show Thank you for inviting me but I really appreciate it and enjoyed it thoroughly.